Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. American Aquarium has been around for a bunch of years, a decade and a half. Plus, BJ is the sole original member. He's the heart and soul of that band. He is a great songwriter, great lyricist. They've put out a number of records, most recently their 2022 album, Chickamacomico. They just headlined their first ever Ryman Auditorium show. They are out on tour now. I caught him, uh, as you will hear, in a dressing room in Philadelphia. They will be out on tour ad infinitum, as is their want. BJ has a really great take on art, the creation of art. Uh, I really love what he has to say about negative events in your life being an opportunity, reframing those negative events as um, a chance to create something that will help not just you in coming to terms with them, but help your audience because they are able to relate to it and to learn from it and to feel like they're not alone, which they aren't. We, we aren't. And I really love BJ's take on that. I thought that was really useful. He's a good dude, man. He's a great lyricist, a great performer. He has a great voice. Uh, he's a good friend. I'm really glad that he sat down with me for this interview. So please welcome to Wheels Off from American Aquarium, the great B.J. Barham. Welcome to Wheels Off, B.J. Barham. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rhett. Appreciate it. This is awesome. For the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining? I am joining you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a show here tonight, and uh, so I am joining you from tour. Nice. Uh, well, this won't air for a little while, so if you're in Philly listening, sorry you missed it, but I'm sure the American Aquarium will be back soon. You guys are on the road a lot. Yeah, yeah. about once a year you'll be able to see us in Philly. Nice. Um, so, all right, so what creative project are you working on at the moment, BJ, and how does it light you up? Uh, we just released a new record uh, called Chicken McComico, Out Into the World. We put that out June 10th, and uh, so that's kind of occupying a lot of my creative space right now is is finally getting to see these songs come alive on the road um that is a, a very fulfilling um thing for anybody out there who creates you understand how awesome it is that when you create this thing and then the world gets to see and judge the thing you put out there's a very good feeling about it um there's also a lot of anxiety that comes with it but it's also mostly a good feeling uh delivering art out into the world um so we are Currently in week two of touring on this new record and still extremely inspired uh, by these new songs every night. So that's kind of occupying most of my creative space. 
How do you handle that lag? Because I, this comes up a lot in these conversations. You you make a thing and um, you, there's a lag between writing a song and recording a song and then finishing an album and watching the album get released. And you mentioned the anxiety attendant to that. Like, how do you handle that? Is, is it bad for you? I refer to it as, as kind of the record making purgatory. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like you create like we recorded this record in November of 2021. So then there's this really weird six month lag of, OK, I've got this finished thing. I can't wait for the world to hear. And then you have to run it through all these channels, whether it be vinyl production or distribution or a publicity. And somehow they magically run it through the calculator and they're like, OK, take six months from the time you create this thing until we can successfully release this into the world. Um, and it's, it's weird because you want to play these songs every night. You want to play the record for people. You want to send everybody the SoundCloud link <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, but you can't, you have to sit there and you have to wait. And so it's, it's weird because as you know, and as anybody out there that creates know, I've already created so much new stuff. Yeah. I wrote this record in February of 2021. So this record has been written for a year and a half. Yeah. In that year and a half, I've already mostly written the next record. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of constantly on a lag. You're on this like 18 month lag behind what you're currently creating and what the people think is your current creation. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. They're like, Oh, I love your newest record. I'm like, wait till you hear the record that I've already got done. Like that kind of, like that kind of stuff. It's a, uh, I think people inside of the industry understand it pretty well, but I think that most people think that this record was written like a month ago and it's a brand new thing. And I'm like, this record has actually been 18 months in the making. Um, you're just now hearing it. though. God, I, um, I did a gig opening for Steve Earl in London one night and that day I'd written a song and I got all excited. It was about London or whatever. And I got up on stage that night and did the song. And I said, this is a brand new song. So obviously it's not on my new record or anything. And a guy came up to the merch table afterwards and said, I'd like to buy the record with that new song you just played on it. And I said, no, <laughs> you know, and he kept saying, but I really like that song. I want to buy the record. And I finally had to say no. And I explained what I, what you just explained. I explained it to the guy and took forever. And finally he goes, I'm fucking with you, mate. And I was like, Oh <laughs> my God. That's good. England. That's good I'll never be funny or smart enough to handle the, the British sense of humor. Um, so I wonder if you do the same thing. So when you're writing the songs now that are these during the purgatory, do you just tell yourself, all right, well, I'm going to have too many songs for the next record. So I'll be able to choose the best from a larger batch of songs. Or do you never throw away songs? I don't throw away songs. Every oh. song, every song I've ever written has been recorded. Um, so the way I describe it, there's some people that wake up every morning and their objective is to write a song. It doesn't have to be a good song. They just want to wake up and write a song. Mm -hmm. And I respect that kind of uh, dedication to the craft of songwriting. For me, if a song is worth finishing, if I toil over it and it passes my song standard, it's worth hearing, I think. Um, that's not to say that I don't start a hundred songs. I've thrown away a lot of starts, but if I finish a song, it went through a pretty uh, long process to get from idea to finished thing. I have never thrown away a song. So everything I've ever written has been recorded. So up except for the new stuff that I'm writing for the next record, 
everything that I've finished, you've heard. And <laughs> it blows my mind. Some people are like, yeah, we're like three songs today. I'm like, well, how many of those are you actually going to keep, record, play 10 years from now? Because the one thing I can say about my process is I'm still playing the songs I finished in 2008, 2012, 2015. Um, I've learned to trust my gut and if they're good enough, I put them through a pretty astringent test from infancy to finished product. And if they're good enough to kind of make it through that three to four month, like battle Royale of me against myself, I feel like they're going to stand up on their own two feet. It's like a baby deer. Once it falls out into the world, it's going to stand up and start walking around. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, it, I don't know. It, it's one of the beautiful things about what we do is because everybody has such a different process even if you have similar processes, everyone has such different processes. And uh, like I said, I know guys who get up and, and I write a song every day. What do you mean you don't write a song every day? I'm like, <laughs> 10 songs every you know year? Those 10 songs, though, I think are as good as anybody else's best 10 out of their 300. And uh, it's, it's just funny how everybody attacks the muse differently. So funny. When you do you remember when it first hit you? Did you always know you were going to do this? Was this something that dawned on you uh, later in life or or was there an epiphany moment when you knew you were going to be a singer, songwriter, entertainer? I, uh, all throughout my childhood and uh, high school, I wrote really shitty poetry. Like it was I wrote a bunch of rhyming stuff. Um, I've always been I've always been a reader. I've always been someone that love the English language. I've always loved words and how words connect to feelings and how the proper chain of words can and bring out feelings in people. That is always fascinating to this day. still fascinates me how one line or one sentence can completely change your life. Um, and that's, I, I think that's what we all strive for in this business is to write that one line that changes somebody's life. And if you get lucky, you get to do it five or six times or maybe an entire career. Like, um, but in high school, I was writing really shitty poetry. Um, and then in college is when I picked up a guitar. Um, and I didn't pick up a guitar for the same reason a lot of my friends picked up a guitar. They picked up a guitar to learn how to play like, you know, a riff or learn how to play other people's songs. I picked up a guitar and learned how to play like cowboy chords just so I could facilitate my own songwriting. So I could put music to the shitty poetry. And then that shitty poetry became a shitty song. And that was way cooler to me than writing shitty poetry. I was writing shitty songs at that point. And then like any other craft, the more you do it, the better you get. You learn how to trim the fat. You learn how to avoid the cliches. You learn how to find a true voice that's, that's yours. And, uh, and that's been kind of the fun part of this journey because, you know, you've been doing it a little bit longer than me. I've been doing it for 16 years now. And I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I clearly remember that moment where I was like, I'm not ripping off my idols anymore. I, I've, I've, it's this amalgamation of like 10 different idols that has quickly become my unique thing. And there was a, there's a moment where that clicks for you and you're like, I have a sound now. Like we have a thing that nobody else sounds like us and we don't sound like anybody else. This is really cool. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's and that's great too because it, it took a while. I mean, you you had to have 
some faith, right? In, in those early days when you knew that what you were doing wasn't good, but you could see how it was going to get there. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's blind faith. It's also stubbornness. It's also uh, like me refusing to admit someone else was right. There was probably a hundred people who were like, "Kid, you need to go back to school. Like, this is not going to be what you do for a living." And in the early days, I probably should have listened to them, but now I feel like the wise old sage that knew what I was doing all along. But realistically, there was a lot of truth in people that I trusted who told me that, like, you don't have a shot based on what you're currently writing. There's no way you have a shot at being a full-time songwriter, like someone that like people will look up to as a songwriter. And I think that kind of negativity has always pushed me in a direction of, well, screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong. Like, hold it, hold it, watch me do this. Like if you being told as a kid that I couldn't do something immediately meant I wanted to try to do it. Um, I'm seeing that my daughter now. So it's a genetic thing. Like it's (laughs) definitely in my genetic makeup of tell me no, and I'm going to do everything I can to prove you wrong. And so the minute somebody told me my songs weren't good, I didn't admit like you're right. They're not good. I need to keep working. I guess like, well, screw you. I'm, I'm going full tilt on this. And I jumped in the deep end and uh, you have to learn how to swim. And there's a lot of people that jump in the deep end and get overwhelmed and then run right back to shore. But I was one of those guys that once I got out there, swimming back to shore would be admitting defeat. And I refused to admit defeat. So for 10 years, I slept on floors. I was homeless. I lived in a storage unit. I played in front of maybe 10 people in every menu venue from North Carolina to California. Like I was resilient. And uh, that's the one positive thing I can say about those first 10 years was perseverance was the one thing. We, we lacked talent. We lacked any sort of cohesive musical type, like thing, but we, were, like, we weren't going to quit. We were resilient. And I think that's kind of what we wore as a badge of honor is like, there's a lot of bands that are better of us. There are a lot of songwriters that are better than us, but like we'll go out and play 300 shows a year until something happens. And luckily for us, we were able to crest over that wave and get to the, what is now becoming like the, the highlights of our career. We were able to put in that work and, and, and same goes for the 97s. Like it's, you have to work and work and work. And then finally, when you get over that one last wave, you get to calmer waters and you're like, wow, this is, but there's a lot of people that don't get past that wave, you know, because the waves getting out to that last wave are, it's extremely difficult. It's hard. This is not an easy job. This is not an easy occupation, um, especially to make any kind of noise that, that stands you out from somebody else. Do you ever uh, look back at those rougher waters and, and miss the kind of fun, reckless, terrifying, squalid, years of course you know i'm living in hindsight though um i don't know if i'd have (laughs) yes i don't i don't think i'd have the same love affair for it if i was still fighting the waves every day Mm -hmm. um only seeing how calm the waters got after you put in that work i can look back and say you know what it was the wild west you know it was you were in in theory we all quit our lives at home jumped in a 15 passenger van and literally we were frontiersmen. We headed out having zero idea if anybody would come, if we would get paid, if we had places to stay. Like looking back, that's terrifying because now tours are planned so 
uh, much in advance. And so every intricate detail of our tour is planned from the time the bus parks to the time we load in to the time I eat my dinner. It's pretty planned out. And so the fact that we were just like leaving it all to fate for a decade seems <laughs> totally reckless. And I miss that kind of recklessness. Yeah. I, I miss that kind of come what will, you know, let's go do it. Was there ever a safety net that you had, like a shore that you could swim back to? Was there ever another job you considered or could have done? Um, when I, so I was going to school. I was studying political science and history at North Carolina State University. Um, I had every intention of going to law school. That's all I ever wanted to do. So I dropped out of school my junior year because I got my offer for my first tour. And by tour, I mean eight shows up the eastern seaboard. Um, Dropped out of school, completely jumped off the cliff, no safety net. Was like, let's, I'm going all in. Um, up until that point, all I'd ever done was kind of wait tables, bartend. Um, so I didn't really have anything worth, anything holding me down to Raleigh. I didn't have a job or a, a career I was working at or an internship. Um, and once I hit the water and realized how hard it was going to be, there was a, a pride thing that kicked in. Now I, I, re- I told myself, I refuse to go back with like, you know, my tail between my legs. Like I'm, I'm going to do this until either I die or I, I'm just going to keep failing until I, I fall forward. Um, so there was no safety net. There was never like, well, I'll go take over my parents' business or I'll go back to school and do this. Cause once you get a taste for what we do, playing music and making people feel things on a nightly basis. That energy exchange between you and a thousand people screaming words at you that you wrote in your bedroom in one of your most private, most vulnerable moments. Once you get a taste of that, there's no going back. There's no going and working at a bank, you know, nine to five, like, because it would creep up in the back of your head every single waking moment. Like, could I have made a career out of that feeling? Um, so for me, once I tasted 10 people singing along to a song, (laughs) get out of here. Like I was bit, there was no going back. Uh, So you have a, you have a, you give off a sense of being very like cool collected, like you, nothing really seems to bother you. You seem very confident, but I have spent enough time around you to know that you're a human being with all the intricate problematic things that go on on the, you know, inside of our brains. And I wonder for you, when you do encounter those kind of problematic moments, the interior uh, self-generated obstacles, what have you figured out as a way to work through that? Um, Well, thank you first, because I'm glad that (laughs) I know what I'm doing because I have zero idea, much like the rest of the human race, what I'm doing every day. Um, I only present, uh, what I know and my experience. Um, but like you said, I'm a human being and every day there's, there's pitfalls. There's, there's things that don't go the, the way I thought they were going to go. Um, I am very, very fortunate to have an outlet for that. Let's say a major life event happens, a death in the family, a, a dissolution of a relationship, um, anything like that. Most people hold on to it and it eats away at them for the rest of their life. I'm very fortunate that I discovered a talent for being able to harness a lot of negative energy and kind of smoosh it into a ball and put it onto a piece of paper. 
And then every night over the course of the rest of my life, slowly taking the power away from those problems by singing about them every night. Um, that is almost a superhero like power to me. And I look at people like that do what I do and do what I do even better than me. I feel like we're all a part of like a, like a, like a Marvel universe of, of people that have learned how to take trauma and emotions and universal fears and expectations and condense them in these two and a half minute stories to help other people get through the same trauma and experiences. Um, that's what, when something bad happens to me and I can convert that bad energy into something good, like a song, there's no better feeling than that. It, it, it's almost like I dare life to throw something hard my way because I'm going to take, I'm going to take the punches. Obviously we all take the punches. Nobody's invincible to what life has to throw at us. Like it, I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to get smacked in the face and it's going to hurt. But I know for a fact that it might be a day. It might be a week. It might take me a year to process it. That one day I'm going to be able to take that experience, no matter how bad it is and turn it into something that helps other people going through that exact same experience, get through it a little easier. That's kind of incredible to think about the, and I hadn't really heard anybody put it like that. It's, it's almost as if there's nothing bad that can happen because even the thing that seems the worst possible event uh, is, is just that much more fodder and the worse it is almost the better it, it could be as uh, something that you use as fuel to create. So there's no bad outcomes. Yeah, so like our newest record, I wrote a song about a miscarriage that me and Rachel had. I wrote a song about losing my mother. I wrote a song about my best friend dying of a fentanyl, fentanyl overdose. Those are life problems that if I didn't have songs, would just sit inside of me and fester and haunt me. But what I learned, I learned it a long time ago when I, when I started writing, you know, early 20s breakup songs to deal with, you know, bullshit relationships and things. I learned that I have a gift for taking that those problems and turning them into a narrative. And when you learn that you have that power, you realize the, the power that that actually is able to harness that negative and turn it into positive. So when you are developing this craft and then you start approaching some really big kid problems, the, the minute you release that into the world, like I, I put up on Instagram, like when I wrote this, this song about me and my wife's mi miscarriage, I was inundated hundreds of messages from, from male and females who were just like, this is exactly what we went through. Like, I didn't know someone else could say this. It's something I've kept quiet. It's something I don't talk about. It's something me and my wife still can't talk about. It's a, a wall that was between us, the blame game, the shame game. And realizing that you taking your trauma and putting it into words is going to help countless people put words to trauma and talk about it and have, have that really hard conversation with loved ones. There's, I'm with you. It's like you almost become, you almost are open to life though when you a curveball. Because the bigger the curveball, the bigger chance you have to say something profound, the bigger chance you have because individual tiny little speed bumps, we can only write about that and affect so many people because they're very individual. But when you take these universal losses, then that means you can have universal healing powers. Like, like you can help 
in an infinite amount of people. It's not just your scenario that you're writing a very specific song about. You're writing about a much bigger thing that more people can. It's the same premise while pop music works, I think. I think pop music dilutes emotions down to a common denominator. And for guys like us, like we don't like that common denominator. We like the this the hyper specific like that. That's what makes my favorite songwriters my favorite songwriters is it's not superly like it's not condensed. It's it's unabridged. Um but there's a reason pop music is pop music and, and 30,000 people feel amphitheaters to hear a guy sing about a dirt road and a Friday night. <laughs> it's because that's a, somebody condensed that thing into a universal thing. And so I think the same goes for songwriters like us that I guess we're considered craftsmen of these songs is we still have that same power. We just have a much smaller target audience. Um, and I embrace that power. I think it's a cool, I think it's a really, I never take that power for granted. You know, I, I, I look at what we do is is real work because I know how much songs have helped me as a human being. I know how much other people's songs, other people's traumas, other people's experiences have got me through my own traumas and experiences. The fact that I'm even a part of that, someone else out based off the things that I went through and the things I've translated into three minute songs that is, I'll never take that for granted. I'll never not think that's the coolest thing in the world, you know? Well, I think there's a great lesson in what you just said. And, and this comes up a lot, the idea of universality in art, because I think a lot of people misunderstand and they think that to make something universal, it has to be vague, right? Kind of what you're saying about condensing it and making it kind of generic. But yeah. I, I think what you're talking about, telling a really specific, personal, true even story is ends up uh, creating something that is more universally appealing because those stories are what a lot of people go through these specific moments. And if it's really speaking to something that they experienced, it winds up having a universal appeal that is stronger than something that's vague or generic. Does that make sense? Especially when you get it right. Yeah. Well, we don't, yeah. we don't always get it right. <laughs> All of us have attempted it and fell flat on our face and it's oh, not yeah. the universal thing that we think it is. But when we get it right, that rare moment where it's a full song of nothing, but like power punch, yeah. that's the best thing in the entire, world. like there's, there's nothing stronger than that. Yeah. Because you're like, because it's not generic. It's, it's, it's super real. It's condensed real human emotion. And that's a, that's powerful. And I wonder about this for you when when you're trying to get it right, because getting it right is obviously the whole point of everything. When you're trying to get it right, um, does it work better for you to not so much think about whether or not you're getting it right, whether or not it's going to work or make certainly make money, all those all those things, or just to try and uh, tell the truth? or say the right words that are like speaking your truth at that moment. Basically I'm wondering about the whole concept because this comes up a lot too of um, when you try to calculate your art, it tends to destroy the potential that that art might have for succeeding and reaching people. So you talk about getting it right, but I wonder like, does, can you explain what you're trying to do? Are you trying to, to guess at the, end result? Or are you trying to just kind of 
break it down and tell your own truth. I'm yeah, I'm setting think, you up here. Sorry. I think ultimately we all want to write the, the timeless songs. We want to yeah. write the songs years from now are just as powerful. Um, I am my biggest critic. Yeah. When it comes to writing, like I will immediately stop writing if there's a, if I, if I think it's too cliche or too, too unoriginal. Um, so I, Going back to what I said earlier, I, I feel like if it can make it past my pretty astringent levels, I think it's 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 getting to the point where it's a good song. Yeah, I try to stay out of my way as much as possible. I try the best songs come when I am just a conduit, when I'm just channeling something, and not to get super heady here or super spiritual. But it's the it's the like I'm not a religious person. I'm not a like like when, when it comes to like Christianity, I'm not a religious person but the closest i feel when i've heard people describe religious experiences the closest i've ever came to that is writing songs yeah where it's almost like i am it's an out-of-body experience it's where there is something much bigger than me working i'm just the one lucky enough to channel it um i I look at it as every now and then every single human being experiences like this thing open up and creative ideas pour out We've all been that situation where you come up with an idea or an invention or a line. You're like, that'd be genius. And then you don't write it down and then you forget about it. And you, and you're like, for the life of you, you can't remember it. It's because a portal opened up. You didn't capture what was coming out of it and it seals back up and you can't get it back. Somebody that was given to somebody else, somebody, because how many times have you you seen the commercial and you're like, shit, that's what I thought of 10 years ago. Um, I feel like, Folks like me and you and other songwriters that have done it long enough, we have just learned how to read the weather report of when that creative storm's coming. And we just know how to get as many pails as possible and set them up. And we've got voice recorders. We've got our notebook on us. We've got pen and paper. We've got our computer and we're just waiting. And and I know when I, you, you know, that feeling where the, the sky turns gray and you hear the distant thunder and you're like, Oh man, something's coming. Like I feel a song is about to happen. And then you're there in that moment and it, it's almost like all you have to do is hold your hands out and it, it just falls in your lap. I think the art of songwriting is learning how to remove yourself from any other situation. Like for me, it's going in my room, closing my door to my office, picking up my guitar and just waiting for it. And then capturing as much as you can of that. Love and it. I think as long as you stay out of your way of that pure wellspring, that just it's just like a like a mountain stream man it's like as long as you don't put anything else into it and you just let it flow i feel like you're catching this really beautiful honest thing and my best songs are the songs that i don't feel i like i feel like i had an out of body relationship to it. it's like how the hell did i write that line how did that one line come out of me there's no way that like i made it up i'm like i'm thankful that i was given you know, like not to get too heady, but like I look at it, every song as like a gift from the universe, man. Like, and it's there's some songs that you're just like, how did I write that? And when you sing them to people and you see how other people relate to them, you're like, it has to be a bigger power at work. It has to be a bigger energy source giving me that. Then, like, I'm not going to be that conceited and think that I made all these up by myself. Like, other powers were at work. I've just gotten really good at learning when those storms are coming and how to deal with those storms. I love it. 
that in my, in my early 20s, I had a girlfriend and we whenever we'd be at a party or something and we'd want to sneak away, go home or whatever for sexy time. The the our code word was stormy weather. And now you're <laughs> now you're making me think that's actually a good code word for what we do. Yes. Well done. Stormy weather's coming on. Let's go home. You. I hate to, you know, take take your mind off of 20 year old. Uh, <laughs> but when I when I think of that, like that's exactly where my mind goes is is this creative storm brewing yeah and like there was there, years of me not writing stuff down like having a really great line and thinking that i'd remember it till the next morning now i keep a journal beside my bed voice recorders everywhere around the house like it's it's almost like the uh the overprotective like southern dad with guns in every house <laughs> i yeah. keep some kind of writing apparatus in every room to where whenever that one line pops out like there's no I'll write it down later or I'll remember it. It's immediately getting it down. Yeah. Um, and just learning how to, you know, catch that rain. Um, so I wonder, and this is a, such a, a useful question once you've got kids of your own, um, when you imagine, if you were to imagine meeting yourself, a 21-year-old version of BJ in today's world, what advice, and this doesn't have to be professional or anything, just what advice do you think you might uh, give yourself 21 year old you in 2022. The person that I am today is because all of the missteps that I took to get here. And I don't like, I made a lot of mistakes in my twenties as most touring musicians do. Um, I don't think I'd take any of them back. I, I would go back in time and tell me to try to be a little bit more present in some of those moments. Um, try not to be like, I had a really bad habit when I was in my early twenties of if something bad happened, I would write about it face to face. Anger uh, was a lot of the focus. I was, I couldn't get above the situation. I couldn't, I almost wish I could go back and tell young me to learn how to be a bird in that situation and kind of hover above it, look at it from both sides and write kind of a universal bird's eye view from both sides instead of this very pointed, you know, screw you, you were wrong. I was right. You broke my heart. You left me because in reality, I go back and look at those relationships. And I'm like, holy shit. Like that was totally my fault. Like the common <laughs> denominator of every bad thing that's ever happened to me is me. Like I'm the one that ruined that relationship. I'm the one that ruined that friendship. So I, I think if I can go back and tell 21 year old me, the stuff that I've learned as, you know, 38 year old me, it would be to sit on emotions for a little longer, to sit on that pissed off song, because if you sit on that pissed off song long enough, you might gain a little bit of perspective and it might change into a more accessible song for everyone. Instead of just like, wait till that ex-girlfriend hears this fucking song. Like she's going to totally regret the day. She'll rue the day. Um, I would tell, I would, I would, I would try to offer. And of course, 21 year old me would not listen to the ghost of BJ future. But I would try to convey like how important it is to gain perspective in your songwriting and and try to instead of writing it face to face, try to hover above more situations and write about it from a universal standpoint instead of just a me to you standpoint. I love it. Oh, BJ, well, I've really appreciated this, man. Congratulations on the new record and 
and the tour. And I just, uh, I really admire your work ethic and I'm really grateful for your honesty today and your wisdom that you've shared. And I just, I think the world of you, man. And uh, thank you for joining me and uh, the Wheels Off listeners today. Thank you so much for having me, man. And uh, yeah, I, I value our friendship. I treasure it. And uh, just thanks for having me on. All right. Good knock them dead in Philly tonight. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.